The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, everybody. This one's between you and us, or I thought it was between you and us. It's not. I'm here. She's here now. But remember last time when I was talking about me living in an alternative universe, fantasizing, thinking about what it would look like if I was in, she's getting, I'm getting side-eyed now, uh, on one of these dating apps. And I said, of course, I would only be on the premium dating app. And that's the match dating app. And Lauren, that's because I'm looking for the real stuff. I'm not looking for you know, tossing the sheets, a quick one and done, a one that I'm not going to be able to like really develop that deep thing. I'm really getting daggers here, guys. Um, but anyways, I think the match dating app is what I would use, Lauren. In my alternate universe, Michael Bostick, I would be on the match app because I'm looking for depth too. So I don't know if we'd match. Don't get too excited. But if I was going to do a dating app, I would not want to do these swipe apps where you just look at the way someone looks. I need more. I need depth. And I need the match dating app. And you know what? You never know. I'm going to keep this in my back pocket because you never know what can happen. You could do something that really pissed me off, and then I would have this tool in my toolbox. So if you're single and you're looking for an app with a little bit more depth, Match has a really interesting new feature called Expert Picks. So get this, actual humans, like humans, dating experts handpick matches for you. So Match is bringing the human touch back to dating apps. I appreciate that. They're merging technology with humans and it's working. You are eight times more likely to hit it off with someone new when you use the expert picks feature. Another tool that's going in my toolbox, Michael, just in case. It's time to actually enjoy dating again and treat yourself to the convenience of a matchmaker through the ease of an app. Download the Match app today. That's the Match app. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Uh They're a very interesting population. Like typically about 1% of the general population has body dysmorphia. If you look at plastic surgery populations, it's probably eight to 15%. I have only seen true body dysmorphia twice in my career that was diagnosed and they were treated and it was a real problem. What people kind of on the interwebs and socially call body dysmorphia is this, I think it needs a different name. It's this strange pathologic obsession with making a normal body part look different. I am back at Dear Media and we have Dr. Kelly Killeen. She is double board certified by the American Board of Surgery and the American Board of Plastic Surgery. She is known for her stellar patient care and excellent results. She has a commitment to detail and she puts her patient's needs above everyone else. We talk about everything on this episode. I ask her about fat vagina syndrome. That's this thing that you can get after liposuction. I ask her about liposuction, boob implants, tummy tucks, mommy makeovers, the BBL. I go there. I really, really pulled out all my tricks in this episode. I wanted to really dive deep into plastic surgery. This podcast is all about breaking taboos and taking the air out of things that a lot of people don't talk about. She is from LA. She works at Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. So she's seen it all, you guys. She knows all different kinds of things. And she is also a star of Dr. 90210. It's back on E. You can hear everything in this episode, every question that you've ever had about plastic surgery. Get ready, buckle up. Let's welcome Dr. Kelly to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Okay, I really wanted to have you on the podcast because... (laughs) I might be in the need of a mommy makeover. (laughs) And if I get a mommy makeover, everyone will know. I'm not one of those people that's going to do it secretly and just be like, I bounced back. I'm going to be very honest about it. What is a mommy makeover? So a mommy makeover is kind of this generic term that um, people use to just describe a series or a combination of surgeries that fix the stuff our babies do to us. You know, it was a joke when I was in medical school that pregnancy is a multi-system disease. Because it, it just really affects every, I mean, you know, you're going, I've had to, you're having your second. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's your skin, it's your breasts, it's your legs, it's your arms, it's your stomach. It's that back fat we all get. It's, it's kind of all over the body and it's different from woman to woman. In general, probably about 80% of my mommy makeover patients want to do something for the breasts 
and something for the tummy. Usually the breast, it's going to be either a lift or a lift and an implant or just an implant because a lot of women with breastfeeding, everything gets stretched out and it doesn't bounce back the way you would want. Especially if you're having babies older and you breastfed for a long time, you may not see your breasts going back to where they were before pregnancy. And for the stomach, it's often a tummy tuck. You know, you can work out to your blue in the face, but you can't work out away stretched out skin. If your skin is hanging off your belly after pregnancy, the, the really kind of best way and only way to get your stomach back to where it was before babies is a tummy tuck. And it's a little bit of a bigger procedure, but you get more bang for your buck. Now, I always get, whenever I talk about mommy makeovers, I get like fully attacked on Instagram and DMs and stuff. So I just want to full disclosure, you don't have to do anything. If you love the way your belly looks with your stretch marks and your loose skin and your rectus diastasis, then I love that. I love your, you're excited about your body and proud of it, but I'm not. And a lot of people aren't. And it should, it should be okay to talk about it. And I'm, I'm super stoked that you want to talk about it when you pursue it someday, because it should be obtainable and normal for everyone. Like we got to get out of this world of shaming women for caring about our bodies. I mean, I don't know what they want from us. They want us to look a certain way, but they don't want us to talk about what we do to look a certain way. And then to pretend like we all just look that way. And it's this toxic, weird vortex we put women into. And you know, you don't have to get cosmetic surgery, but it's a great option for some people. Boy, oh boy, did you come to the right podcast? Because <laughs> no one, I don't think in this community is going to attack you. This community, we are so open on this podcast. We've had every kind of doctor on. My next person I'm attacking, attacking is the vagina whisperer. Oh, nice. Who like redoes all vaginas. I just think I pull agree. that clip, Taylor. The next person she's attacking is the vagina whisperer. <laughs> I'm not pull attacking. Out of context. Attacking to get on the podcast. Like I want him on the podcast to yeah. pick his brain. I just think personally, I agree with you that it needs to be normalized, and this taboo weirdness about a mommy makeover needs to be taken away. There is so much going on behind the scenes of Hollywood that we are not seeing. Absolutely. For since Marilyn Monroe, by the way, it's not like recently even. It's people are doing stuff all the time. So why not take the energy and air out of it? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like celebrities, they want to be relatable, but then they don't want to be relatable. You know, there's like this line. And this, again, this idea that they somehow bounce back and don't have problems is just nonsense. We see them all the time. You know, I see them in person and they don't look the way they look online. And so they're either Photoshopping, using fancy angles in their photos, and they're not happy with how they look either. And like, stop pretending. Like there's nothing to pretend about. We're all in this together. We all have the same experience. I think that there's like a really unifying thing about going through pregnancy and childbirth and raising kids. It really, it really, it's hard. It's hard for all of us. And I think we can share that experience. You can still be gorgeous and famous and amazing as a celebrity, but be honest about what you went through and what it did to your body. I also think, and I was talking to my, my trainer about this the other day. I was having this in-depth conversation with him and trying to explain to him that you, with pregnancy, you go through this weird mindfuck of maybe like, how do I explain this in a nice way? Men sort of overlooking you. Like, mm -hmm. like I, I remember when I'm 21, I had brand new implants. Like the guys are looking when I walk by, like the construction workers are whistling and then you get pregnant and it's this whole different experience. And I think that that needs to be talked about too. As a woman, it's it's an, kind of an identity crisis. It would make sense though that in a way, and I got to say this carefully. <laughs> that we would, Careful. Well, the way that we evolved as a species, right? At least until, you know, modern times and the constraints of marriage and it being monogamous and all these things. Men obviously and women were different biologically that men would go and their goal was to try to populate, right? Mm -hmm. Into, you know, impregnate. And with that, you know, you could basically do that with multiple partners. But with a woman, obviously, like once you're impregnated, again, I gotta be careful. This is not, this is say nine months of, you know, you can't be impregnated again, right? Like it's there. And so I think like men evolved, if they notice another woman that was already pregnant in a way, biologically, you're just like, oh, I can't, that's not somebody that I can mate with. It's very like a primal thing. So I don't think men are like overlooking and not finding beauty. It's just it's just, it's, it's genetically hardwired into us. It is weird. It's I mean, weird. I, I think it's true from a physical appearance standpoint, but just also as a functioning in society standpoint. I mean, I think, 
most of us have gone through that like awkward moment of having to tell your boss you're pregnant. And then everyone in the office is like, oh shit, what is this person going to not do that I'm going to have to pick the slack up on? And it's this interesting thing. Like I said, it's a really unifying thing, right? We all get pregnant and have babies. I mean, it's a very common thing that women all over the world do, yet we still somehow make it ugly. (laughs) You know, like you're ugly when you're pregnant, you've gained weight, you have varicose veins, your feet are swollen, men don't find you attractive. And not only that, you're a crappy worker. We don't want you at your job either. I mean, it's a really, it's a really weird thing to go through. It's honestly, and I've said this a lot, you can be simultaneously really grateful that you're pregnant, but also have a mindfuck identity crisis. Absolutely. I mean, we can live in a world where both those things are true. Yes. And, you know, women are often put in these boxes where we're told that you, you, you know, you should just be grateful to have a baby and not worry about those things. But that's stupid. I mean, that's just not the reality. That baby's just there for a couple months in our bodies. That emotional and psychological damage stays with us long-term and it affects how we feel about ourselves and it affects our relationships. I mean, it's it's very impactful. That's like saying to a guy with a really small micro penis, but at least you have a good personality. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 you can, you can want to look hot and sexy and also be a great mother and also love your baby and be grateful you got pregnant. I don't yeah. get why we can't be multifaceted like that. Yeah. So anyways, that brings me to the mommy makeover thing. I think that it's so amazing that you're doing this and empowering people. I cannot wait. See, I told Michael, once once I'm done being pregnant, it's over for you bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to look like my best. I want to look the best I've ever looked after pregnancy. I don't think there should be anything wrong with that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think you have a kind of a different understanding of your body after you have babies. I think that you have to really do a deep dive into what's important to you and what things you want to make better. And I, for me personally, I changed my focus from how do I look to how strong I am and what I can do? Because you're going from, you know, you you really don't have to be strong in life. You just have to be hot when you're younger to, I got to be strong. I got to chase these small people around. I got to pick up giant strollers and throw them into my car. My functionality and my, basically, my strength and my ability to use my body is so much better now than it was before I had kids. But I'm certainly not as small and as hot and sexy as I was before I had kids. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And you're right. You're, you, you have to do a deep dive into your head and kind of deal with all of these issues because trust me, they're going to deal with you if you don't think about it. I agree. So let's say I come into your office and I just had a baby. What, first of all, I want to know how long do people typically wait? Cause you can't just hop into it right away. Right? Absolutely. So I have people that try to do that all the time. I okay. had someone last week who wanted me literally to do a tummy tuck at her C-section. I've heard about this and I actually am intrigued. Can you yeah. talk about that? So, I mean, you know, here's that's the thing I would ask you to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the deal. You're not at your ideal body weight when you have a baby. You should not be. I mean, there's no reason why any woman what Dr. should Dr. Diamond be. told me. This is the exact yeah, same thing. You, you need to be at your ideal body weight when you have a tummy tuck. The other thing is it takes a while for your uterus to shrink. You know, some people it shrinks very quickly, but most people it takes several weeks for your uterus to shrink. I cannot get your belly as tight and get you the result you deserve if you do it at the same time as your C-section. The problem is though, is that, um, you know, what people don't think about is that recovery from a tummy tuck is a big deal. That's a hard recovery. And you're throwing that at a new mom with a baby that she's trying to breastfeed and get up in the middle of the night and all of that rigmarole. And then on top of it, you're going to be miserable in pain with drains from your tummy tuck. I mean, just do not do this to yourself. It's so much better to wait. So I I think typically about six months is what it takes most women to get closer to their goal, you know, their pre-pregnancy weight. Took me two years. (laughs) Me too. Um, I kind of gained a little more weight than I had anticipated with my first child. And I had mine back to back. They're 18 months apart. Wow. So, you know, just be just be honest and kind to your body. I mean, you'll get there. Just don't push it. And when you get to a weight that you're happy with, and sometimes you need to refocus your goal. We all are not going to be 21 again. So, you know, I was 115 pounds when I was 21. I am not going to be 115 pounds again. That's just not reality. So you have to be honest with what your goals are, do things that are safe and healthy to get there. And then when you're there, we can say, hey, is this something that we need to fix with surgery? Or is this something that's going to get better if I just work out, do whatever I need to do? 
You know what, though? I will say, too, as you age, I I almost don't want to be the skinniest I've ever been because I feel like if I get too skinny, my face ages. Yeah. It's almost like a dance. It is. And, and that's actually been shown in studies. So if you're carrying a little bit of weight, like 10 to 15 pounds under the age of 40, it is aging on you. If you're carrying a little weight after 40, it is makes you look younger because your face fills out with it. So it's, you know, it's, it's a definite concern as well. Breastfeeding is also something you have to consider when you're considering surgery because, you know, when your baby is breastfeeding, you have this natural microbiome of your breast. Your ductal tissue is open through the nipple. So when your baby's breastfeeding, you're getting mouth bacteria from the baby into your ductal system. And so your risk of infection is a lot higher. And usually what most of us do, and, you know, you'll get a few different numbers, but it's pretty common that we tell you to wait six months after you're finished breastfeeding. So if you breastfeed for one month, then you're going to want to wait at least six months after that before having breast surgery. And that's especially important if you're having an implant placed. So the mommy makeover, I, I have a couple questions. Sure. What exactly is the process of it? Are you doing breast and tummy and lipo at once? Is it different for each person? What's the most extreme? What's the least extreme? So it's different for each person. I would say a majority of my patients want to do everything together because they have little kids. They don't have time to have multiple surgeries and multiple downtimes. They just want to get it all done at once. It's not reasonable for some people. For elective surgery, once you get past about six hours under general anesthesia, your risk of the scary complications goes up. So we just have to have a talk about- What are the scary complications? Well, stroke, death, heart attacks. I mean, the things that aren't really happening from, you know, what I'm doing with a knife and a a suture, they're the things that are just being under general anesthesia, like the the scary stuff. And we don't see it a lot, but it's just not even worth the risk in a young person. So- Usually you can safely do tummy tuck and breast surgery in one sitting. If you're starting to add all kinds of other stuff like liposuction. Like what? Give me like the menu. What are the, what's the side add-ons? All right. Pregnancy is a real bitch on the tits, if you know what I mean. It takes a lot to hold these things up. I'm talking about a lot and I need something that's comfortable. Like it can't be just blocking my lymphatic system and cutting me off. I need something that's smooth, that looks invisible. I need something that just gives my titties the everyday comfort and support. And Taylor, don't pop a boner when you're editing this. And that is Third Love. You have heard about Third Love everywhere. It's been on this podcast before. They make the most comfortable bras. They also like look cute too. So when you think about a comfortable bra, sometimes you think it's not that cute, but Third Love's bras are cute. The one that I have been wearing pregnant, and I've talked about this on Instagram story, is the 24-7 classic t-shirt bra. I personally am always a fan of the nude or the black. Those are my go-tos for bras. I don't really like to switch up the colors, but they do have other colors. It's available in A through H. It's like an ultra thin memory foam cup that forms to your body and it's so soft and nice under a t-shirt. So I wear a lot of these under t-shirts, under blouses, under like a super thin pregnancy dress. And most importantly, it's comfortable. It's gotta be comfortable quality. It's comfortable. Third Love is known to have these bras that hug you better, hold stronger, and support longer. And I need all the support I can get. You should also know that Third Love is the largest donor of undergarments in the United States, which is so cool. And they've donated over $40 million worth of bras to help people in need. Feeling is believing, giving your boobs the 24-7 comfort and support they deserve. Upgrade your bra today and get 20% off your first order today at thirdlove.com slash skinny. Like I said, I think the move is, and I've tried a lot of their bras, the 24-7 classic t-shirt bra. I like the nude and the black, and you get 20% off at thirdlove.com slash skinny. That's thirdlove.com slash skinny. The side add-ons, I mean, a lot of people will do skin tightening. There's a lot of these non-invasive skin tightening machines. You've probably heard of them, Morpheus, Infini, Profound, Ulthera, Body Tight. I mean, there's a bazillion of them and they're all tomato to model. They just heat the skin up. They create a collagen reaction, which tightens your skin. So if you have laxity or looseness that came from weight gain in pregnancy, and once you lost weight and your skin didn't quite bounce back enough, they can get you about 20% tightening when done properly. So a lot of people add that on, but they can really add up the time in the operating room. Um, liposuction, 
You know, liposuction is one of these things that when it's done properly, it's safe. But when you start taking liters and liters of fatty tissue off of people, then you have electrolyte abnormalities. You can have heart arrhythmias in the operating room or afterwards. You just have to really think about these things. You know, as, as exciting as it is to get the whole body makeover, we want to do things safe for you. The, the main thing is to get you home to your kids and, and be happy and healthy. What about moving fat? Oh, for fat grafting. Yeah, yes. fat, that's a great option. So you will see too, as you age, that your fat moves different places. You lose fat in some places and you gain it in others that you don't want. And so fat grafting's become very hot because you can sculpt the body in a different way using your own tissue. So fat grafting can add, you know, a nice kind of more natural look to breast implants for people that don't have a lot of breast tissue. Fat grafting can round out your hips. It can round out your buns. It's great in the face. It does nice things for people with hollow under eyes, or maybe they've lost some volume in their cheeks when they lost weight. Fat grafting is an awesome option. Do you like buckle fat removal? Sort of. Every single person, yeah. every single doctor says sort of. They can't decide. Yeah. You know, he, here's the deal. I'm, I'm always looking into the future. My goal is to do something for you that's going to be beautiful tomorrow after I do it, but it's also going to be beautiful 10 years from now. Buckle fat is one of these things that's being done on the wrong patients. It's being done on a lot of people that are too thin and they want this really, really sculpted, chiseled look. They want that Bella Hadid look. The problem is, is as they age, they're going to pay for it. They're going to look skeletal and crazy. And it's, it's just not worth it, especially when you have a girl with a beautiful, thin face. You don't need to make it chiseled like that. They, it's just, I don't think it's appropriate. Now, if someone that has a very round face and they want to have more definition of their cheeks, that's that's the perfect patient for it. That's the type of person that should be having that procedure. I just don't feel good about doing it on these thin young girls that are going to look crazy in a few years. Christy Teigen got it and talked about it. And I think she seems like a good candidate. She's a great candidate. She has a rounder face. Exactly. And it's not even that like she's overweight at all. She just has like a rounder mm -hmm. face and it looks really nice on her face. And I, when she opened up about that and talked about it, I thought it was cool. Yeah, she's great because she's been very honest about all of her cosmetic procedures. And I love that. I love that. And she... She also talks about the good and the bad things that happen afterwards about, yeah. you know, like I think she wasn't super happy with her first implant removal and had some revisions with her lift or something. You know, that's the reality of cosmetic procedures. You know, a decent amount of people end up having touch-ups and little zhuzhs here and there, something they don't love. And I think those are things important to talk about too. What about daddy makeovers? What What does Michael need to do? I, uh, <laughs> Just Sign kidding. Michael, Michael sent me a picture bod. of his abs today in the cold plunge and they're perfect. While, no, I'm, but while you know, I'm gaining weight, Michael's tightening his abs. What, what, like, what do men even have to do? Are, do men come and see you? Yeah. You know, my, my practice is so female-based. We don't see a ton of men. And usually my male referrals are husbands of patients that I've already operated on. The most common procedures that I do on men is just liposuction and then also gynecomastia surgery. So men that have a little bit too much tissue in the chest area and they want to have that removed so that they have a more male appearing chest and less of a kind of female contour to their chest. You were talking earlier about kind of swaying, or not to say swaying, but basically consulting certain patients on certain procedures, you know, maybe talking them out of it. So if somebody comes into you, the example you used earlier that has maybe more of a narrow face, skinny, young, should not get the buckle. Are there other procedures like that, like a blanketly across the board, you say, hey, like maybe that's not for you. And the reason I ask is I think people are starting to see more and more of these procedures online. And it's like, oh, that it's like a that can apply to me. And everybody just thinks they can get every kind of procedure, but it sounds like it's not the case. Yeah. I mean, can they get it? Yes. If you wave your credit card around, you will find someone to take it. I mean, that's just the reality of, of cosmetic surgery and, and things that are cash pay. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that certain people I just don't think should do. Under eye filler and fat grafting is probably one of the biggest ones. I mean, it makes your the, eyes look smaller, huh? It makes your eyes look smaller and crazy. It uh -huh. makes your face look nutty and yeah. like I had something done. It's yeah. I have no idea how this became a thing. Lip filler in girls with beautiful normal lips and they look kooky, kooky dukes. And then, you know, years and years later, they've destroyed their natural lips and they, they lose the color in their, the pigment in their lips and they just look nuts. From a surgical and standpoint- how long does it take for these things to kind of manifest? Because and the, again, the reason I ask is I think we're- kind of in the heyday of a lot of the stuff where so much of it's visible, but we haven't had long periods of time yeah. to see the end result. I'd say five, six years is when I start okay. seeing people look really crazy. You know, and it's, often it's you can shorter than I thought. 
Yeah. And often you can't really tell when you see them with lipstick on or from far away. But then I, you know, I take their makeup off, like I'm evaluating their face and, and, and you can see these telltale things that are just ruined in their lips. But it's like anything, we're probably going to have to now develop a bunch of procedures in the future to fix all of this stuff we're doing to people now. It, that's what happened with breast implants, right? Like everybody's getting these giant, stupid breast implants in the 90s. And then now we have a million procedures that we've kind of figured out and honed our technique to remove breast implants that have completely destroyed the architecture of the breast. We're going to have to do the same thing for lips, under eyes, and then also butts. And that's going to be, that's another one that just, can we just stop with that already with these gigantic disproportional butts? I mean, the fact that we've had to have clothing companies created to outfit a surgically created body is absurd. And there's certainly women out there that have a, a voluptuous ass, so to speak, and they are <laughs> built that way, but not like that. You know, and, and we all know what I'm talking about. You know, on Reddit, they call them the molar butts or the diaper butts where they're, you know, their butt's this big and they have these skinny little disproportionate legs and it's just weird. What about lip lifts? Because I, I talked to, I asked a doctor on our podcast about that and he said, be careful that you don't look like a bunny. Yeah. And then ponytail lifts. I would love to know because I know that those are two things. And Michael, what the hell is a ponytail lift? A ponytail lift is the kind of like the Bella Hadid look when they pull the you Fox from right eye here. And I, I thought it, I was going to go a completely different direction. I thought it was something <laughs> on the back of your head with your actual ponytail. There is a guy, I think he's actually trademarked it in LA, the ponytail lift. And that's what his version of it is. But yes, it's it, the, the terms being used differently. So look, lip lifts are great for the right patient. Again, it's like every surgery we do should be fixing a problem. And so if you don't have the problem that's fixed by the surgery, in my opinion, you shouldn't do it. Lip lifts in a young girl are probably not necessary in most people. And there's things about post-op lip lift patients that you don't always see in their befores and afters when they show them on Instagram. That scar under the nose, even in the best of hands, is visible. Even when it heals beautifully, it's visible and it's pathognomonic for what you had done. Everyone who sees you goes, lip lift. I know what that girl did. I th And I'm, you know, I just don't, that's not my jam. I don't want people to look at me and go, I know what she did. She did this and this and this. Most people that have it done don't need it. They get this kind of shorter, bizarre looking upper lip. And then the wet part of their lip mucosa gets rotated out frequently. And then you can see the line moves up between the part of the lip that should be out and the part of the lip that should be in. And they just look odd to me. And, and for the right person, you know, as your lip becomes longer as we age, for someone who truly has a longer upper lip, yeah, it's a great option. But you know, these 21-year-olds that are getting it left and right, it's crazy. I have a weird question. This is- I, I like weird. Yeah, I'm, I think this is probably one of the weirder questions you've ever been asked. I had a friend that got liposuction like everywhere. She was like addicted to it. She admitted it. Mm -hmm. And she also got a tummy tuck at the age of 27. Oh, no, wow. And she did not have kids, which by the way, to again, to each its own, like that's what she wanted to do. But she got liposuction in so many different places in her upper body that the fat started growing in another area, which was her vagina area, because she got all the she got all the fat sucked from from everywhere that there was nowhere for the fat to go. So it's when she gained weight, I think she gained like 40 pounds. A lot of it went to her vagina area. So when I would hang out with her, she'd always be talking about her fat vagina that she never had before she did all these procedures. What is that? Is she crazy? No, like, she's not crazy. And it's interesting because there, you- <laughs> There's a lot that us men just don't know no, and so, maybe so, shouldn't know. Sorry, honey, that wasn't, that wasn't pillow talk with you. <laughs> What? Yeah, it's it's the fat vagina is an odd topic, but it, I mean, you, and you, <laughs> the, the image that's in my head of how this <laughs> body came to like, like, I'm not even going to go in here, but no, I, I mean, it, look, you have a finite number of fat cells when you're an adult, right? You're not growing new fat cells. When you gain weight, the ones you have are getting larger. When you lose weight, the ones you have are getting smaller. So for people that have been extensively liposuctioned, if they then gain weight later, it has to go somewhere. And you're you're not going to see it in the places you're used to seeing it. You're going to start seeing it odd places. I know a patient that a similar thing happened where she was heavily, heavily liposuctioned all over her body. And it was her face is where she saw it when she'd gain weight. And so she would get these very, very chubby kind of almost childlike cheeks that you want to pinch. And it's just, you know, unfortunately, when you've liposuctioned so much fat all over your body, that's what you get. The other thing that happens is when you've liposuctioned so extensively, you tend to have a lot of scar tissue internally. So when the fat you have left 
enlarges, it looks lumpy, bumpy, and weird. So even if you looked perfectly smooth and beautiful after your liposuction, you're going to get this weird, everybody knows that stomach I'm going to talk about. There's the actress that has the horrible lumpy, bumpy liposuction stomach. You're going to get that kind of look. And it doesn't necessarily mean that anything was done wrong in your liposuction. That's just the nature of gaining weight when you have scar tissue in there. So staying on this train of thought, and again, I'm not a doctor, but just using basic logic and reasoning. If a guy did the same thing, could he then get a fat penis? No, no, no. The, you, the vagina, oh it's not... Did, <laughs> just, did I just find a Oh, wait, let me be dollar, careful. No, no, because the, the Are you going to start seeing a lot more no, men No, the now? fat in the vagina wasn't going to her lips. It was going to like this... The, the mons. The top area. Oh, yeah. Like, the area. Right yeah, okay. Well, that's it, different than the... Okay, no, 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 no. It's her vagina. It's sure, just not going to like... But you didn't hide... Like, okay... Well, the, well, right. you he's so let down right no, now. The, he thought he had his million area. dollar I thought, idea. I thought we were about to shut this company down and start a new one. <laughs> the area, the upper area, though, is going to hang over. I get it, but you, the way you explain, okay, you but, had to say so the, the upper fat, area. You've heard other women say that they yeah. have gotten a fat vagina from liposuction. Yeah, absolutely, and I've seen it. I've seen patients. I had one patient that had a tummy tuck, and she, you know, fifteen years prior, and she had gained a lot of weight. And she actually looked really good, but just one of the places that was disproportionate was her mons. And it it was huge and it hung down strangely. So we fixed it. Oh, you can fix it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can do a mons lift. Oh, a mons mm-hmm. lift. Sometimes if it's not totic or droopy, you can just liposuction. That's really easy to do. And then if it's if the area is droopy and bizarre, you can just do a lift. It's like think of it the opposite of a tummy tuck. You instead of pulling that down, you're pulling the mons up. I knew when we interviewed the ring concierge that I was not going to come out of that episode unscathed. And lo and behold, I am actually now looking at push presents with the ring concierge. <laughs> so I played myself by doing an episode with the ring concierge. You're fucked. But listen, if you're going to go and you're going to look for diamonds, fine jewelry, the ring concierge has it all. Really though, what I did, if I'm being honest, is I put Michael on a group text with Nicole at the ring concierge and just started sending stuff. And that worked really well. You can also just go to her Instagram at Ring Concierge and just start talking with her direct. She's amazing at answering. They also have a website, ringconcierge.com. Their stuff is so magical. I think Nicole really has taste. She's the owner. And after talking with her, not only does she have taste, she has the resources and education behind fine jewelry. So if you're looking for like a push present or something for an upcoming holiday or you want to give your significant other a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink, I feel like this is the perfect way to do it. She is the ultimate luxury jeweler and she designs for women by women, which is amazing. It's a favorite among celebrities and influencers. You've seen her all over Instagram. Her rings are superb. I think she has some of those beautiful diamonds that I've ever seen. So if you're looking to get engaged, all you have to do is screenshot the ring concierge Instagram and send it to your significant other. That's that's my hot tip, okay? I personally am manipulating Michael slowly through just sending him stuff via Instagram. So you can find the ring concierge on Instagram at ring concierge or in their website at ringconcierge.com. Listeners of the Skinny Confidential get an exclusive 15% off of fine jewelry at ring concierge with code skinny ring. That's R-I-N-G-C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E.com. Enjoy. How much has this space evolved since the growth of some of these online platforms? Like meaning, you know, maybe starting in the 80s with the breast augmentations Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like how far have we accelerated since the rise of, you know, these platforms and more visibility? And, and, you know, I think it's, I mean, it's infinitesimally more popular than it ever was before. I mean, now you have it's extremely common to have 20-somethings coming in for cosmetic treatments, you know, not necessarily surgery, but Botox and fillers and, you know, good skincare. I mean, when I was in college, no one's using good quality skincare. I mean, everyone's buying like Seabreeze and shit from Walmart. You I know? think I had a piece of soap with a rope. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it was really different back then. And it, I think there's some things that are really great about it. And I think the focus the focus has become what I think is toxic in telling girls that normal parts of their anatomy are abnormal. You know, I'm all for if you have breasts that are a little too small, breasts that are a little too big, breasts that are a little too droopy, stomach that's too droopy, you have a funny deposit of fat. I'm all for, you know, making yourself feel better and investing in some kind of cosmetic procedure. But when we start taking girls with completely normal anatomy, like these fox eye lifts, 
and giving them a bizarre, doesn't exist in nature face. It's like, what are we doing to people? It's the weirdest thing. And, and that I don't feel good about. I have a daughter. I don't feel good about that. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I think about this stuff and now in the context is we obviously have a daughter and, you know, there's this big movement of like wanting to let kids be who they want to be. But I'm going to have a real problem if she comes and she's young and she wants to make these life altering decisions before I think she has the mental capacity to make it right. You don't yeah. get to play with her mom's implants but, and then say that. Sure. <laughs> she's no, going to say, dad, mom has implants. I think that there's, you know, I, I, I look at the youth and I think there's a very strong argument to be made and I'll use myself, that between the ages of four and let's say 25, you don't really have all of your faculties yet. And you don't really understand. I mean, 25, I'm spreading it out there. Like just thinking of myself, like there was, there was a lot of decisions that if I would have made sub 25, I know would have not been right for me. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. You obviously, especially with younger people, you're doing this with your parent in tow. You know, I've done breast reductions on a 14 year old, 14, 15 year old that girl needed a breast well, reduction, I think that's, you know? That's and, and it's, different. Yeah, and I've also had patients with tuberous breasts who are teenagers with a deformity of their breasts who have breast surgery. Situational. I think, situational, I think, but you know, but if you're like putting gigantic implants in a 14-year-old, you're, you're doing it wrong as a surgeon. And, and it's weird because it is a little, there's a lot of gray in what I do and I, and I do struggle with the ethics and morality of it. I mean, I went to school to be, a, I'm a surgeon. I went to school, I'm a fully trained board certified general surgeon too, in addition to plastics. I was doing, you know, traumas and liver transplants and carotid endarterectomies. And then I'm, you know, the next week in my plastics fellowship, I have a patient sobbing in a room because her breast augmentation was smaller than she wanted. And I'm like, Jesus, what did I do with my life? You know, I mean, it is an interesting thing. It's very impactful in a different way, but it's hard for me sometimes to wrap my head around some of these moral issues. That's crazy, the juxtaposition of yeah. doing trauma and, and liver disease, you said. Mm -hmm. Liver disease? Yeah. I mean, everything in general surgery, you know, is is life-altering, life-threatening. And huh. then I, like, literally nothing I do in plastic surgery is necessary. Yes. Like, so none of it is. Even the things that are impactful and life-altering are not necessary. The patient's not going to die if they don't have breast reconstruction. So it's it's been, it's been an interesting journey for me to kind of wrap my head around. You go from things that are medically impactful to things that are psychologically impactful. And you realize they're just as important in someone's life. That is probably a mind trip for you yeah. to, to go from dealing with Like, it's almost like, do you ever want to look at a patient and just be like, snap out of it? You're being vapid. You know, it's hard so sometimes. Yes. I mean, I've had those moments where, you know, I've left a patient's room and she just found out her cancer spread. And, you know, you're, you're holding their hand with a crying patient who's been so meaningful to you and, and has had the worst news of their life. And then you move into the next room and there's a patient screaming and yelling mad because their scar is still pink at six months. And, you know, part of me is like, I would really love to punch this person. But, you know, I, I always try to remind myself that it's, it's not the tragedy Olympics and that people are only capable of managing what is on their plate. And they, some people just don't have the life experience or the understanding. And that scar still being red may be the worst thing that woman has dealt with. And so while me, I have the perspective of seeing all of it and going, okay, well, on the ladder of importance, this is pretty low. This is, this is a disproportionate reaction to something that is not, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that deep but it, it is deep to that patient. And so I try to be respectful of kind of where they are in life. I mean, I do try to, I do set boundaries with patients. I don't let that kind of stuff get out of hand because I think it's toxic for them too. Give me an example of what you mean by that. Well, you know, I, sometimes people will hold on to something small from an aesthetic standpoint after plastic surgery, and they will make that small thing become the reason their life is not the way they want. Ah. So, you know, for example, say you had a breast lift and one of your nipple incisions is slightly irregular and they don't have, they got divorced and they don't have a new husband because of their breast lift. They are not able to date because of their breast lift. They don't feel comfortable in clothes because of their breast lift. No, I have, that is let's not Let's call it. it plastic Munchausen. Yeah. They're I mean, it's, using, it's interesting. They're using the plastic surgery as a way to not execute on their life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and everybody, you know, everybody should be able to go out and achieve what they want. 
And if something's truly holding you back, then yeah, but that little irregular scar is not holding you back. I mean, we had a man that came on this podcast with no arms and no legs and nothing's holding him back. Absolutely. He's a speaker all over the world. He has four children. He's married. Like it's, I I get what you're saying though. It's hard to present that perspective to someone who in their world, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And so, you know, I, I always tell people the most valuable part of my training was I have a psych background. I studied psych undergrad. And I think it's helped me understand people in a different way and be more kind and caring and accepting and help them more. I think a lot of surgeons would be like, oh my God, get her out of my office because this is the most non-problem of the day. But I'd rather help her come to that conclusion on her own so she can achieve what she wants and execute in her life and not be limited by those feelings surrounding whatever's going on with their breast. You know, and what I often tell people when they come in and they want surgery for that thing, because I see a lot of second opinions and revisions, and they'll be like, I had a breast augmentation. It didn't end up the way I wanted. So I can't get married. I can't date. I can't be seen naked. I can't wear a bathing suit. Limiting. Limiting. And I, you know, what I try to impart with them is that I can change this one thing, but you will find something new. And there will be a new reason why you're not achieving these things. What's, what's, what's limiting you is not your physical appearance, almost ever. You know, and I think we all know examples of people who, from a physical standpoint, are not the ideal, who have no trouble getting married and achieving all of what they want in life, right? It's, it's a mental thing and it's, it's hard, but I've, I try to like get them to make that discovery on their own just by talking them through it as opposed to telling them because people don't usually, they don't appreciate that, especially adults. It is a psych thing, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I think people, there's, there's, it, if you look, if you look around at the state of the world and some of the places that exist in this world, I, I think some of the worst experiences in this particular country are some experiences that people in other places would pray for, right? Like the daily worst experience here. Like, even if you look at what's going on over there in Ukraine, like, that's unfathomable to people oh, yeah. in this country. Like, We've never been invaded, attacked. Yeah, you're I mean, not hiding yeah, in a course. bomb shelter yeah. with your family. And so I think, like, I, I always try to, like, think about, and, and sometimes Lauren gets mad, like, it's, like, doom but I, I like to acknowledge, I don't want to say I like, but I think it's important to acknowledge the hardships that many people in the world go through to realize how good you have it, especially if you're living in a first world country where you don't have to worry about those, those types of things. Oh. Like, if your biggest problem is, hey, my breast augmentation or my lip lift or my Botox, you don't have problems. You don't have problems. It, it's just that attitude of gratitude. It's that famous Maya Angelou quote. It's like, through stormy days and starry nights, I maintain an attitude of gratitude. And I think I had a patient once who earlier, one of my first patients when I moved back to LA was a breast cancer patient, very special to me. And she had all of the complications. She was just that girl, this beautiful, like badass executive. And she's just hit with breast cancer in her 30s. And she had every complication and it was killing me, right? Watching this amazing woman go through this. And she never had a crappy attitude. It was never like, oh, woe is me. Everything bad happens. She just got through it. And guess what? She did fine. She looks amazing and she's doing incredible in life. But I remember asking her like, how do you do how do you do it? Like, you know, one thing after another, not expecting to have chemo and has chemo complications with her surgeries. And she said, I just have so much to be grateful for. And so she's like, every time I see myself getting pulled down and thinking about all these terrible things around me, I just try to recenter and go, what do I have around me to be grateful for? And she's like, I have a wonderful family who's supporting me through all of this. I have a great job that is allowing me the time off to manage this horrible situation. I have an awesome doctor who loves me and will come in the middle of the night and see me when I'm having trouble. She's like, I have so much that's good it helps me stay in the right mood. Because I'll, I'll tell you, I've seen it a million times. People that see themselves through things in a positive way, they somehow get there. The ones that see it negatively, they get there. You're very in control of how your body reacts to surgery and medical illness. And you you have to be able to see the positive, stay grateful for what you do have and move forward and not be looking back. I'm having such a moment right now with Joe Dispenza. I like just love his message. And basically he says that when you're meditating, you should meditate on the future that you want. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and when you meditate on the future that you want, it creates a frequency for you to get what you want. And a lot of cancer patients are doing his meditations to meditate on healing. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's essentially the same thing. They're, 
they're going through the treatment thinking they're going to be healed with a positive mindset and gratitude and it changes the outcome. It does. And I mean, look, think about the placebo effect. I mean, you give diabetics a sugar pill and, and 30% of them, the, sh the sugars go down. You know, our minds are incredibly powerful. Does that mean that your mind can cure all cancer and cure all? No, of course not. But it certainly helps if you are in a good frame of mind and you are looking forward. Yeah, this is a harsh message, but I think we all know those people in our lives that they're like the Eeyores, right? They're constantly complaining, yeah. telling wah, you how bad. Wah. Yeah, and it's it's like you watch those people get to those bad places much faster than if they, you know, maybe had a different mindset. And, and they also can they also can contribute to dragging you to those bad places if you sit there and commiserate with them. So it's like at some point you have to recognize if you go through life complaining and telling yourself how bad it is, it's just going to get worse. So if you've been listening to our wellness focus episodes, you may have heard that most of us are extremely dehydrated. And when we're dehydrated, we act completely irrationally. We can't focus. We can't think straight. And because of this, we make a lot of poor decisions. We behave poorly. We don't do things the right way. I actually have a story. The other day, Michael was behaving so poorly. I knew he was dehydrated. So I took a packet of liquid IV and poured those electrolytes in his water without him knowing. <laughs> That's a true I story. I knew it because I can taste it because a liquid IV tastes delicious. Guys, we have had this partner on the show on and off for years. And the reason we keep inviting them back and partnering with them is because they have a phenomenal product. So if I had to pick my favorite flavor, it's definitely the watermelon. They also have lemon, lime, strawberry, pina colada, and more. But here's a hot tip. I'm obviously not drinking right now, but the watermelon packet is so good in a tequila with soda and a little lime. So you're getting your electrolytes while you're drinking. I personally think it's genius. <laughs> and you should know that one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone. So if you're having your tequila, you can also get this little packet of electrolytes that contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And what we love about this product, it is made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And it's a mission-driven company that's donated over 20 million services globally. So grab Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code SKINNY at checkout, just like all of our other codes. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code SKINNY at liquidiv.com. Experience better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code SKINNY. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've, I've made a lot of realizations of I've become older in life and, you know, you hold on to friends so tightly when you're young because, you know, you feel like you have to be friends with everyone. But as I've gotten older, I've had an easier time cutting people out that are like that in particular, because I'm a sunny personality and I just, I need... I need people that are around me to be sunny as well. Well, you've also seen the worst of the worst. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I just, I can't manage other people's depression. Like I can barely manage what's happening with me. I can't manage the Eeyores. I can't manage the constant drama. I can't manage, I see nothing in a positive light. That's just not a person that I have room for in my life. I don't. Well, especially if it's out of context too, right? Yes. Like if somebody's complaining that their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them or that they lost a job. In the meantime, like you're seeing people that have life-threatening illnesses yes. that are actually dying. It's like, it's like suck it up, Sally, right? Yeah, you know, it's a perspective thing. Yes. You know, I think that's the one thing medicine's given me that I, I'm not sure everybody gets to experience in life. You know, you're close to death. You see. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been there when people have died. I've been there when the worst news of someone's life has been given to them. And so I think that I do have that gratitude. I do have an understanding of the gifts that I've been given. And I, I want everyone to be in a place where they feel good about what's happening in their life. That doesn't mean you don't want other things and you're not trying to achieve and get things that are meaningful to you. But we all have to have a little bit of understanding that we have it pretty good. Most of us have it pretty good. Yeah, if there's a reason that I would think many people in the world would have a distaste in their mouth for people that live in first world countries is that we complain about things that other people would kill for yeah. and die for, right? Like even during the pandemic, and I know like this is a, beat, a dead horse now, but like, yes, we're stuck at home and we're locked, but like we're on Postmates and we're on the internet I mean, come on, and we have right? our video games. Yeah, I was sitting in my social... jacuzzi all day, every day, like yeah. hanging out with my family. And it like, could have been that, a lot worse. Yeah, and people are, oh, my, my job's hurt or I can't buy this or I can't go on. Like there's people that will never, ever have it as good as we had it during a global pandemic, yeah. right? And that's just a fact of life. I mean, that's reality. I would love to know 
when you were younger, were you attracted to blood and cutting and all that <laughs> stuff? Because I'll tell you why I'm asking. I am so deathly afraid of blood. Like I, I, I'll vagal, B- basco basco vagal. I have so bad. And so it's intriguing to me when someone does it for a living all day, every day. Does it not bother you at all? You know, it doesn't bother me at all, but I'll tell you, I was not like that younger. I actually hate gory movies. I hate seeing blood, guts, gore. I don't like any of that stuff. There's something about it in medicine, which doesn't bother me because I get very task oriented and problem solving. It becomes like a challenge to fix. And it's not just, you know, someone being brutally murdered on some movie because I, I I really don't enjoy that kind of stuff either. I'm very high anxiety as well. And I don't necessarily even want to be around the really sick patients. That was kind of my inclination when I first started like my third year of medical school where you're on the wards and seeing patients. And I, I, one of the first days in my general surgery rotation, my third year, they had this patient in the ICU that was on multiple pressors, intubated, was actively dying. And it was so scary to me. Like just the fear I had when I walked in that room and just everyone in there and the sounds of the machines. And I thought I have, and I went home and thought about it. And I'm like, I have two ways to manage this. I can just say, I'm not built for this and try to do something different. Or I can study it as hard as I can and get so good at it, it doesn't scare me anymore. And so I decided that that's where I wanted to go. I'm like, I love, I do love surgery. I love the field, but I need, I need to be so good at it that I'm not scared by any of that. So that's, that's what I tried to do. So gnarly. It's so (laughs) crazy to me what you do every day. I mean, it's so amazing. And I just have so much respect for it. I would love to end this on talking about body dysmorphia today. Mm -hmm. I think body dysmorphia, in my opinion, is out of control. Do you see it more than ever? Yeah, I think not necessarily true body dysmorphia. So body dysmorphia is an actual real psychologic diagnosis where people see something that's not necessarily there and they spend a disproportionate amount of time obsessing about it and trying to cover it up. And, you know, they're they're a very interesting population. Like typically about 1% of the general population has body dysmorphia. If you look at plastic surgery populations, it's probably 8 to 15%. I have only seen true body dysmorphia twice in my career that was diagnosed and they were treated and it was a real problem. What people kind of on the interwebs and socially call body dysmorphia is this, I I think it needs a different name. It's this strange pathologic obsession with making a normal body part look different. Like getting fixated on one minor thing and thinking it's a bigger thing than it is. Absolutely. So real body dysmorphia, you would obsess about your nose you would see something that was not there. You would spend six hours a day looking in the mirror, trying to figure out how to make your hair so it throws a shadow and hides your nose, using makeup to hide your nose. Nothing's wrong with your nose. You're, you are seeing something that's not there. With what what we're seeing now with these girls and, and men too, is that they see something that is normal and then they're trying to make it different. Abnormal. Yeah, for a weird way, like the fox eyes and the BBL and, and you know, this aggressive contouring for no reason. I mean, it's a really, it's a really toxic, strange thing. Like, I think we need to be, th- that's one thing, the body positivity movement has some great things and some bad things about it. And one of the good things is that the, the push to have people accept that normal bodies are normal and they are in fact beautiful. And you don't have to look bizarre and created in a lab to be beautiful. There's some issues with the body positivity community as well, I think, as everybody probably knows, but it's- it, In your opinion, what are those issues? Well, I think I think we take it to a little bit of an extreme with the body positivity community. I think there there is this arm of it that is trying to create this kind of blow up the beauty standard and make it so that the beauty industry is evil and bad. And there's there's nothing that happens in a plastic surgeon, dermatologist, esthetician's office that's meaningful or good, and it's all evil and bad. And I think that that is not correct. I think there's really positive things that come out of some of this. But I do love the idea of embracing and appreciating a variety of normal bodies and that being what kind of what what we see when we look in the media. Like I had this experience lately where I was looking at, I get sucked into Instagram ads. I'm so bad. Like I buy something five times a week from an Instagram ad and it was- um, a, You and me both. Don't I just feel can't ashamed. help myself. It's so embarrassing. So I bought this, this brand Buff Bunny and I'm like, oh my God, this workout clothes are so cute. So I went to order them and there were a couple styles I liked and the model was plus size. And I found myself getting frustrated because I couldn't tell what it was going to look like on me. And I was like, 
I don't want to buy it. I don't know what it's going to look like on me. I mean, it feels weird. And then I had this realization that this is what plus size girls feel when they look at normal catalogs with non plus size models. And I was like, wow, it kind of blew my mind. I'm like, this is, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, this body positivity movement. I think it really changed how I thought about having representation from larger people. I think that you can have representation from women in larger bodies and everyone's very worried that it's somehow going to make the world unhealthy and that you're encouraging people to be unhealthy. No, you're not. There's nothing about looking at a woman in an outfit that is that it has any aspect of health recommendations. You're just looking at a lovely woman in a lovely outfit. And l- let's start seeing people with different size bodies out there. I think it's it's good for us all. Here, here's a soundbite for the Reddit threads out there. I don't like the lazy body positivity people. And let me elaborate. I don't like the people that say being body positive is just accepting who you are, where you are without putting in the work, right? And mm-hmm. what I say is this, if you are not happy with your size and your weight and you're out of shape and you're medically determined to be obese or at risk for serious comorbidities or heart failure or whatever, and you're not putting in the work to eat better, work out, I don't like those people coming out and telling everybody else they should live like that. Now, that being said, if you're doing what you can and you're trying and it's just not, like, fine, then I can say love yourself. But I don't like the people that use the body positivity movement as a cop out to tell other people to not try to better themselves. Meaning if I see somebody and they're working out and they're trying to better themselves and they're eating healthy and they're doing what we would call medically healthy practices, they should not be discouraged for doing that and being excited about the results. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I see. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a fine line because ultimately when you see... A, a woman in a larger body out there. I think this applies to men too. Men too. You see anyone in a larger body, there is this immediate assumption that they don't exercise, they don't eat right, and they don't take care of themselves. And there is then a bunch a bunch of judgment about their weight and who they are as a person. Whereas you don't have that. Whereas there may be a model with uncontrolled diabetes that completely does not take care of herself is a total nightmare. That's for, the person I'm talking right? about. Right, but, but the people that well, are doing are. I'm not. I'm not making the assumption that people are. I think that a lot of people are yeah. and struggling. But the people that are using it and saying, you know. They're not doing anything. They're just, their message is, I'm not going to, like, you have to just yeah, accept I mean, me how I am. Being healthy is a process for all of us, whether you come in a smaller body or a larger body. And I think the one thing that people in larger bodies have have fought is that the automatic assumption that they're unhealthy and they've done all these horrible things to cause them, I guess, to, to be in a larger body. And so when I see... When I see a woman in a larger body, a plus size, a, a true plus size model in a catalog... What that does for me is it makes it feel normal and it makes it feel as though that person is pretty and deserves to exist and deserves to be a model. Whereas 10 years from now, if you saw that, I mean, you wouldn't see that number one, but there would be a bunch of discussion about you'd never see it because it's promoting an unhealthy lifestyle. See, then you've made an assumption about that person and you've, you've decided that they're unhealthy. So, I mean, it is a fine line. And I'll tell you, in a lot of the medical research, a lot of the opinions we had about overweight people have not panned out. They are not as unhealthy as as they have been made to believe. And medical fat phobia is a real thing. And so I do think that there's a lot of positive things, but you're right. I mean, I don't- But I don't even think this applies to just, I'm not even just talking about fat. I'm talking about there's a segment of the body positive movement that gets taken over by people that are spreading a message that it's okay to be unhealthy. And when I say yeah. okay to be unhealthy, I mean- it's okay to eat like shit, to not work out, to not get good sleep, to not take care of yourself. And this has nothing to do with yeah, weight. I mean, that's that de- message I disagree with, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that if you give human beings a cop out and you let them set and you give them a reason to say, hey, it's okay to do these bad practices, they will double down on those bad practices. I think that part of the messaging is bad. Love yourself, be sure. happy with who you are, try your hardest. All of that I agree with, right? Like it's not about even an image thing. It's more about like, hey, we should still as human beings strive to be the healthiest versions of ourselves because we have all of these resources at our fingertips. Yeah, no, we absolutely should. And and I think anybody who is espousing nonsense where they're, they're pushing unhealthy beliefs on people. I mean, the pro-Anna community is a totally great example of that, where you have women that are very pro-eating disorders and it's incredibly toxic and dangerous. I mean, anorexia has the highest death rate 
afraid of any mental illness. And it's definitely not something that needs to be pushed out there. But I think that the thing that I always, with, with the body positivity movement, in particular women, women who are larger, is that there's a lot of implicit bias, that we have bias against these people because we see them and we automatically assume things about their health. Whereas you see me and you, you may not assume anything about my health. I'm just living my life posing for a picture. Whereas you see a woman in a larger body and you go, oh God, why is she doing that? She, you know, she's not doing the right thing with her diet or whatever. And that's, I guess that's the thing I think is good about the body positivity movement because none of us should do that. Nobody's, my health isn't your business and nor is anyone's health on the line, online. If you see them posing for a picture or, or a model in an ad, you should just see them posing for a picture and a model in an ad. You shouldn't jump to conclusions about who they are and what how they treat their bodies. Let them live. I agree know? with that. I agree with let them live. I mean, I, I think too, to waste my energy on worrying about what someone else is doing with their body, whatever it is, it's not my business. And I just am going to stay out of it. I just think it's a waste of energy. I would love to end this kind of round it out with how we started it, which is I had a great experience with plastic surgery. I got my boobs done when I was 18 years old. Looking mm -hmm. back, that's really wild that I was able to do that. Just walk in, no parent, and get them done. And then I got them redone later. I had an awesome experience, but I have a question. If I ever wanted to take my implants <laughs> out, because I've been thinking about this, if I ever want to take them out, can you do a fat transfer and make it look the same as it looks or does it not look the same? You know, it it never quite looks the same. Um, you know, the, here's the deal. Implants have structure. Implants have projection. And that's what gives you that round implanty look that we all love. I have implants too. I got mine when I was 21 and they're awesome. And you have to rip them out of my cold dead hands. But you can make things look better. Fat is soft. Breast, the shape of your breast without an implant really comes, is more of a breast tissue thing. Your breast tissue is the firm part. Everybody's breast is a proprietary mix of breast tissue and fatty tissue. I can certainly put fatty tissue in to replace some of the lost volume, but it's never going to have the same roundness and firmness and projection that a breast with an implant or even a natural breast of that size is going to have. Depending on how big your implant is and how much native breast tissue, that's really going to affect how much fat I can put into it. You can always do a couple rounds of fat grafting. I've had patients do that where they just don't want implants anymore. And we do two rounds of fat grafting to get them closer to their pre-explant size. I'll time it with Michael's balls. As Michael's balls drop as he gets older. There you go. I'll slowly take the implant out and do the fat grafting and we can match each other to gravity. Nice. <laughs> it's like a bonding activity. Yeah, you don't get like perky big boobs as your balls drop to your knees. Dr. Kelly, how long do I got? How, 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 <laughs> <laughs> how much longer? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think fat grafting is great. I fat graft almost all of my patients. I'm very, very heavy fat grafter. There's a lot of misinformation about what it can do in the breast. And you'll see these photos online of a woman that has fat grafting and it looks like they have an implant in and their breasts are three cup sizes bigger. That is an immediate post-op from someone who is inexperienced or a bad fat grafter who put too much fat in. It's all going to die and it'll be gone in a year okay. or it'll leave behind big, painful wads of dead fat, dead fat. The key to fat grafting working properly and not having trouble with it is you can only put in what the tissue can support. Okay. Period. End of story. I thought I would ask that, take one for the team and ask that about myself because I was going to ask you off air. I'm like, I might as well ask you. No, it's great. I just had some fat grafting. So I had my implants. So this is a good tip for, for your listeners is that when you, when you get breast implants, you have to understand they are not a lifetime device and you marry yourself to breast implant maintenance. So I'm on my third set of implants. I'm in my mid forties now. And so I had my implants switched out in November. I had a little bit of fat grafting in the cleavage area just so it looked a little softer, my cleavage. It wasn't quite as implanty looking or like obviously I had an implant because I'm, I'm relatively thin up there. It's awesome. Okay, I'm going to come talk to you when I'm ready. Interesting, just uh, two seconds. So when people start getting procedures, they have to realize they're also signing up for maintenance every so... Is that for pretty much every procedure or is that I mean, just the major procedures? Implants in general, um, I think it's the most important thing. Women were not told in the past that these implants are not lifetime devices. If you have saline implants, there's really no recommendation currently to have them swapped out. You do have to understand that they may rupture and then your breast will go flat, which is annoying, but less problematic than a silicone implant rupturing. For silicone implants, you really want to switch them out 
so that you get them out before they have the chance to break because they can be quite problematic. Do people still use, this may be a stupid question, they still use silicone? Honey, I oh, have yeah. silicone implants. Almost, uh, I would say almost all of my patients yeah. choose to have silicone. No, you, the, oh, saline. Remember they switched it, like went from silicone mm-hmm. to, well, of Everybody course Everybody had saline during the moratorium. There was like a 11 year period, I think, when they were off the market. And then since they've been back on, which was like the early, mid 2000s, that's, that's what most people get because they're just a superior implant. Hopefully someday we'll have something better, but they can be problematic when they break. Hmm. But yeah, you do need maintenance. And even, you know, for all lifting procedures, we tell patients, this is not a lifetime thing. You know, if you do a breast lift, things are going to come back down with time. That's the reality and gravity and collagen loss and aging. That's just, it is what it is. You can do what you can do to slow it down. You know, protect your investment, wear a supportive bra, especially when you're doing high impact activities, take good care of your skin, don't bake in the sun, don't smoke, please don't vape. That's like the newest poison that all my patients are doing. Wait, don't vape. Don't well, that vape. That should be self-explained, but, yes. why, but why, I mean, you, you're passionate about that one particularly. Yeah, I mean, you're just, tra- they've just traded cigarettes, which are horrible for something else that's horrible. And anyone that tells you vaping is great needs to start looking up some literature. A lot of girls that I know are using it to lose weight. Yeah, of course, because a lot of them have nicotine in them, which is exactly why people lose weight with smoking. It's like, you know, don't drug yourself to lose weight because it has all kinds of other effects. And our lungs are just not meant for inhaling crap. Like stop doing that to your lungs. There's so many studies that have come out showing damage with with all of the different type of vaping medium, not just the ones that have tobacco and nicotine in them. Like stop putting shit in your lungs. Here's the problem stop with Stop sneaking a vape when you drink alcohol. Well, I don't, no, here's yeah, the thing. Yeah, you do. Well, first of all, I haven't drank alcohol in like almost six months yeah, but now. but stop with the vape. Here, here's the thing with the vape too, I don't think people will realize. I was a smoker when I was young. When I was mm-hmm. a kid, I was young and dumb. Like, it's been a long time now, but- I had to nip that in the bud when we got back vapes together. vapes didn't exist because I see a lot of the young people there, <laughs> make myself old, but they're, you can vape anywhere, any place, indoor, outdoor, in your back. Like I, I used to have to go like, you know, light yeah. up, go outside, do all that. Like, there it was a stigma to yeah, it. I couldn't just be sitting indoors yeah. and like light up a cigarette. So that, I think people don't realize that they're just doing it so much more often than a cigarette Yeah, in most cases. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I was at the airport in Austin yesterday and I go into the bathroom and I look up and there's just a billow of vape smoke coming out of the stall next to me. And I was like, God. how did you know it was vape and not like something else? Because it was that, I know what it looks like. Oh. It's that white vape, you know. That's stuff. what I'm saying. Like you can just do it all day. You can long, do it all day all everywhere and, and nobody knows. You're not going to set off any smoke alarms. But yeah, it's just, it's such, it's it's just a dangerous habit. Just don't do it. You know, I'm always trying to talk patients out of it. I've, I've had just patient after patient, especially the young ones. Like we were past this guys, like we got smoking out of the repertoire of young people. And then now Gen Z has just embraced it full force, unfortunately. It's just like a different medium of it. Yeah, it is. I would say if I could leave the audience with any advice on my own journey, if you're going to get plastic surgery, my number one tip, and I say this all the time, is do it for yourself. Like every every time that I've decided to do Botox or filler or or getting my boobs done twice, it's been for myself. And mm-hmm. I think that that has been helpful. That's my tip. Do you have a tip that you would leave them with that's just something like maybe even tell asking like their doctors double board certified? Like, is there anything just really quick that you would leave our audience with? Absolutely. I think, you know, whenever you have a cash pay business, you're going to have a lot of people that try to jump on because they want to make money and they're not necessarily who you want to have do your surgery. So here in the United States, I think it's incredibly important that you seek plastic surgery from an actual plastic surgeon who's board certified in plastic surgery. It's very important to make sure your surgeon has the proper qualifications. They are operating on you at a surgery center that is accredited and that they have privileges at a hospital in case something goes wrong where they can care for you and they won't just wash their hands of you and dump you on someone else. So I think that there are a lot of people that call themselves cosmetic surgeons out there that are not properly trained. And I'm sure they get some decent results, but if shit hits the fan and everyone has complications, you don't want them standing over you. Pimp yourself out. Where can everyone find you? Where can they book you? Give us the 411. I am on Instagram at KL Colleen. My office is in Beverly Hills. And I'm trying to think where else you can find me. I think that's pretty much it. 
We'll link it all out. We'll find it. We'll track yeah, it down. Yeah, absolutely. Come visit me on Instagram and, and be my friend. You know what else I'll about cigarettes and vapes? The second, I'll come visit you. <laughs> Back the in the day I when people friends. smoked a cigarette, you kind of look and be like, ah, oh, I don't agree with that, but that's kind of a cool look, kind of different, kind of rebellious. When I see these people and they have these big machines and then like a train cloud of smoke comes out, I'm like, oh my God, you look like such a dork. I know. It's, you it's looked like, like a dork like when you were smoking. It's hipster. Yeah, but it's, mar- it's, marble when I first met you. But it's different though. I was like, those fingers aren't going yeah, near but, but me in any orifice what, of my body. Here's what I'll yeah. say. Figure that out. If you looked over and saw somebody smoking, you're like, oh, maybe I don't want to mess with that person. You look over and see somebody with a big machine with a train cloud, you're like, oh, you don't, you don't worry too much. <laughs> Conversation went all over the place. I love it. I, I hope that this is a unique. Now there's going to be some, this was some great. Big tough Thank guy you with so going to come out and beat me up. No, Thanks. I love it. I mean, no, normally they have a set of questions, and it's the same thing every time. And so I, I appreciate something different. <laughs> we talked about fat vaginas. I know. We talked about vaping. We talked about the liver. We talked about body all positivity. Every we body about positivity, all kinds of stuff. Everything. Taylor, please get my medical patent on the fat dick device. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Kelly. Thanks, guys. Do you want to win a bookmark? It is the cutest bookmark. It says, get the fuck out of the sun for your copy of the book. All you have to do is tell us your favorite part, the most impactful part of this episode on my latest post at Lauren Bostick, and we will slide into your inbox and send a bunch of you bookmarks. So fun. With that, we'll see you next time. <laughs> 